Hey, everybody, Dean Crest back in the studio, straight talk on leadership. What a great week we got this week on our podcast. And this is number 97. And we got the one and only Sheriff for Greenville County, Hobart Lewis, who's not only a friend of mine, but he's also doing a great job as sheriff there. He's got some insights and some things he wants to talk about in terms of just leadership, what he's learned. And uh, man, I think you're going to love this podcast. And so, as we always say, set back, turn up that volume, get ready to change your life. Hi, I'm Dean Chris. Welcome to Straight Talk on Leadership. This is what we'd like to say is the no BS zone, where we give you leadership tips, ideas, and practical suggestions to help you become a top leadership performer. Our goal is simple, help you become the best version of yourself and reach your highest potential as a leader. So sit back, turn up the volume, be ready to change your life. Hey folks, Dean Chris back in the studio. Great, great week this week. We've got Sheriff Hobart Lewis, who's the Sheriff of Greenville County. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I'm going to let him get a, give him a chance to kind of introduce himself and talk to you about some of his experience. And I, I, I've just been looking forward to this podcast ever since I asked Sheriff Lewis to come on this uh, podcast. I, I just couldn't wait for this week because I think you're going to enjoy his life story is just one of those where, man, when you're the underdog, when you have to work hard for something, you got to work hard to get it, man, how do you do it? And I think you're going to have some great lessons from him about how that, how to do those things. And so, first of all, we want to thank all of you folks who are listening to our podcast. This would be one of the best times to hit that subscribe button and to transfer or to, to tell someone else about this podcast and tell, you know what, you just need to go ahead and hit that share button and share with somebody and tell them that this podcast is going to be one they really can take a lot from because there's a lot of life lessons in this podcast. I guarantee you talking about Sheriff Hobart Lewis and his journey and his challenges and the things that he's faced. And if you don't know it, he's got about 650 or some odd employees there. So it's not a small agency by any imagination. There's a lot going on there every single day. Greenville's one of the most metropolitan areas in the entire South, great place to live. And he happens to be the sheriff, but more importantly, he happens to be a great friend of mine. Hobart, hey, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, I'm excited. This is, uh, I've had a lot of firsts in, in 19 months. And uh, this is certainly, uh, this is certainly a first to be on here with uh, somebody that means so much to me. And I'm, I'm sitting where I am because of your investment in me, Chief. And you certainly helped pave the way and make me who I am. So it's a it's it's a great honor to be part of this. Well, Hobart, you know I don't owe you no money now, so you don't need to say all them nice things. <laughs> no, well, you know, <laughs> bills coming. I think I, it's, That's right, I'm, right, right. So, chat, man, I appreciate it. Chat version but, of this thing. I'm I'm gonna we'll send it in. Yeah, I got you, man. And you know, Hobart, you didn't. I will be honest with you. You didn't make it easy. You were tough in them early days, man. It was, it was, I'll tell you what, chasing you around and trying to keep you straight was tough. Uh, my dad used to tell me, he, he said, son, you're just not going to do nothing the easy way, are you? And I, I was pretty hard headed. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was thankful. You know, a lot of people stuck with me and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. So, uh, and, and certainly helped 
pushed me to do a lot of things I didn't think I was capable of or even qualified to do. But, um, yeah, I, I can be pretty tough on folks that care about me. Well, you know, Hobart, I'll tell you the honest, God's truth. I, I didn't really do that much for you, to be honest with you. All I did was see what you could be, and then you took off and ran from it and ran <laughs> to it, not from it. <laughs> ran, ran from to it. it. Yeah, I, well, you ran I from you it. You had that too. right. So. Yes, you did run from it at first, but then you saw it. And, I, and you know, that's the whole thing about leadership is uh, when you're able to have influence on folks and when you're able to really, you know, help them become the best version of themselves and really see themselves for what they can be, that, that's a special gift as a leader that if uh, you're willing, you can really work to see that happen. So, you know, you took that and ran for it. So Hobart, let's tell the folks a little bit about, about you, like where you're from, where you, you know, all that stuff. And sure. I'm going to, I'm going to talk a little bit after you finish about your story, some things you might not tell because, uh, yeah, I know you're a very humble person and that's one thing everybody really loves about you is you're extremely humble leader. But people need to know some of them early challenges and some of those things when, man, it could have went the other way. Easy for you. You could have quit. I guarantee you, I don't know many more people in this life who could have quit along the way who never did and who had a really easy chance. To, well, you could have quit at any time, but you didn't. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Hobart. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm fixing to celebrate my 50th birthday in December. Uh, we got our first grandbaby on the way in December. So uh, a lot has happened to me in 50 years, but I was born and raised here in Greenville County, and uh, my parents both worked in a mill when I was really small, and my dad went to work for the city of Greenville as a police officer, and uh, he was a big man and uh, very strong, and everybody loved him, and he had great personality, so, uh, so he fit right in after that Vietnam era of law enforcement, and uh, it was, you know, things were much more physical. And, uh, and he, he fit the bill for that, for the sheriff's office and the city. So he had kind of bounced back and forth uh, as we were in elementary school and um, times were changing. And, and he, uh, he left law enforcement and went to work in the heating and air conditioning business. Uh, the mills were starting to close and, and some of those things were changing. But my mom uh, worked at Monaghan Mill up until the time I went in the service, uh, actually at, at 17. So... Uh, she spent her life there, and, and when I was in high school, and I always wanted to work in law enforcement. I was a member of the cadet program here at Greenville County when I was 14. Uh, they came to our school and, and uh, signed up for that, and it was a great program that was ran through the Boy Scouts of America. Uh, it was really good for me to, to get me inside and, and help kind of uh, feed that, that want and desire to work in law enforcement. So, Enjoyed that very much, but I, I was not a good student at all. And um, I took a job in a in a cotton mill, dolphin cloth, and uh, I was doing that after school from four to twelve. And I knew I could. They told me my my superintendent said, "Look, you you know, if you want to work during the day and just not go to school, you can do that." And uh, so I thought, well, that sounded like a pretty good idea at the time. And in my mind, uh, I'm just waiting to turn 21 so I can be a police officer. So. I had uh, started skipping school and uh, was working double shifts. So I'd go in at seven in the morning and just work till midnight. And my parents thought I was at school uh, and I had missed a number of days and just uh, a mom found out and took me back to school and, you know, told me how important it was to graduate high school. Um, nobody else in my family had done that. My sister had just graduated high school and that was, that was meant a lot to them and they were very proud of her, but 
uh, I was more interested in working and turning 21. So she got me back in school and, uh, you know, I just, I just wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't quite comply with that. But uh, eventually, um, you know, I was, I was my own worst enemy, you know, and, um, and, and created some problems for myself and decided I'd just go into service where I wouldn't have my mom pushing me to go back to school. And at that time you could join the army without a high school education. So, so I did that. And, um, the first thing they did was give me a test to get my, my GED, my equivalent, uh, to my high school diploma and didn't think anything about it. Uh, just took it and moved on, went to basic training and AIT and, uh, you know, life just kind of went on and, and they actually, I passed and, and they mailed that certificate to my house and I didn't even know it. So I'd eventually come home after about a year or so and uh, visited and found out I, I got that. And I thought, man, I got that over with. I'll, I'll never need to do anything else. But um, so I got out of the service and I uh, was looking for a job and I met my, my wife now uh, at the time I was dating and and thought I had it all figured out. I'd just go to work in law enforcement and get married and try to establish myself and, and just be a cop. You know, that's just, that was my goal, just to just be a cop and no aspirations uh, of, of any kind of supervision or any of that stuff. Just all I needed, I had the Ernest T. Bass syndrome. You know, all I needed was a uniform at the time. So, <laughs> um, so I walked into the, uh, the Greer Police Department one day and, and things were a lot different and um, met Dan Hendricks and told him I wanted to apply for a job and he walked me downstairs and filled out some paperwork and we came back up and that's the first time I met you was in the parking lot there at the police department and um, and that's that's where my law enforcement career really began and um, you know it was a, I, I never you know to have to have forecast where I am now I um i never never would have believed that when i was a cadet here 14 years old we couldn't even come upstairs and get close to the sheriff's office uh he didn't want to be you know you don't bother him there's stuff going on up there and all that kind of stuff and um you know very intimidating position for sure and um and now i come in here every morning and and always wonder what there's pictures of previous sheriffs behind me and i always you know pick one to look at and wonder what he did on on his Wednesday morning, you know, when he came into work and it's um, a very unique situation, but it's, uh, I'm blessed. The, the Lord just provided a path for me and put people in my life to, to certainly push me and, and make me believe in myself. I, I remember you telling me when I uh, had my trials and tribulations at the academy and, uh, you know, I was never a good student at all and um, certainly struggled with that and, and how to study and how to learn and do things. And, uh, you told me, you said, you know what, you're your own worst enemy. Uh, everybody believes in, in Hobart except Hobart. And, and you said, that's a problem I can't fix. And until you fix it, uh, you know, nothing else I can do for you. So uh, I think that really hit home, you know, that, uh, that it's not everybody else's fault. It's, it's mine. So I got to, I got to figure that out. And when I started, uh, my son was born in 95, um, October of 95. I think that was the big life-changing event for me that that I realized that um, more what life was about but more what my responsibilities would be now as a father um, and not just a young police officer and just a husband and you know things come and go but these uh these kids are counting on me and that was that was certainly a big life-changing event for me and um and now he's got his his own little girl on the way and uh 
it's, it's <laughs> life cycle is amazing. I know. Well, you know, Hobart, let's, let's, there's a lot there to unpack. So, um, <laughs> you know, our, our uh, listeners on the podcast, uh, th- there's life lesson, lessons along uh, the way there that I want to share with them. And, you know, you went over that story and it's almost, it's funny how 25 years can be told in five seconds, right? I mean, it's like all of a sudden, bam, there you go in 25 years, but there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I can remember, let, let, let's think about what I want our listeners to think about for a second is here's a guy with a GED who doesn't like school that well, who is rebellious at home, trying to figure out what life's going to be, had a goal, was driven to be a police officer and decides to set your life's goals to be a police officer. And you made that happen. Now, let's talk about this for a second in terms of what a lot of our viewers might not know. When you ran for sheriff of Greenville County, you ran one time and you failed. Uh, you ran one time in uh, 2016, as I remember. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was a journey in itself going through that. But through failure, you probably learn some of the biggest life lessons. And let's talk about, I can remember that day, and people don't realize this, but Hobart went down to the academy and decided that studying again wasn't his favorite thing to do. And then the results are exactly the effort you put in or the results you get. And uh, there was a time where they said, well, you just can't pass this test till you study more. And I remember coming back and I said, uh, I can't do anything for you, like you said, till you believe in yourself. And I said, the only thing I can offer you is become a reserve officer. Now, here's a guy who was just told they're not going to be able to be a police officer. And instead of quitting, you decided to be a reserve officer to now make up that time. What, why do you think that? I mean, walk me through that. What, what was that like? Um, uh, you know, I, I had disappointed a lot of people. I mean, in, in my family, uh, a guy who uh, quit school and, and you know, you're going to have to work in a mill or you're going to have to take a job that doesn't require high school diploma and whatever. Uh, you're never going to reach your goals until you get an education. So my thing was, well, I'll show you and uh, and did that anyway. But I had a lot of those moments where. I'll show you kind of thing. Um, and, and I always um, developed a way around maybe the, the standard um, that was not so healthy for me uh, as an adult. You know, I mean, I, I, I would, uh, you wrote on an evaluation one time that I have the uncanny ability to explain anything. And, <laughs> and I lived my life that way, a, a, a large part of my life that, um, you know, it's okay. I, I can, I can do it. If you'll give me a chance to do it, I'll do it. I can do it. I can perform, but there's certain qualifications you need to get there. So when I had failed, um, I was in a room, uh, I was at the Academy. They took me upstairs after we had a test on Friday and, and, uh, a guy named Bruce Carter was in there and, and it was me and five other, uh, young men. And, uh, we were all sitting on a couch and I remember specifically some of them were from Orangeburg, I think three of them were from Orangeburg and two from Bamberg. And uh, he went through and said, hey, I called your chief. I called your sheriff. Go home. Come back in two weeks. We're going to recycle you. It's going to be fine. And um, I think I had failed the the second test in the third week. Uh, So we had three weeks behind us down there. And and they were going to get to come back and pick up in that third week. And and I was the last one he talked to. And he said, uh, Hey, Mr. Lewis, he said, I, I called your chief and uh, he wants you to come home. 
And he said, y'all have a policy. He said, you're not coming back. You, you know, you've been terminated. So, uh, and I knew that going down there. I, I didn't, that was not a surprise to me. You had laid those rules out for me and three other people that, that had left to go down there. So, so it was not a big shock, but it was a long ride home. And um, I remember it wasn't any cell phones. So I got on the pay phone and uh, called and got a job um, in the heating and air conditioning business. And uh, so I had a job on Monday, but I knew I was going to have to come back and tell at that time my fiance that, uh, you know, this just didn't work out for me. And, uh, you know, I was going to have to tell my dad, my mom, and sister, and uh, all those people that, you know, it's Greer is where I started and, and it's a very small town and a lot of people know uh, everybody. And um, I, I didn't realize everybody had really looked forward to me uh, succeeding and, and going to work there. But then when that didn't happen, you know, there's, there's a lot of self guilt that goes on because it was, it was my fault. Um, I had, uh, you know, it was career suicide for me and, and it was self-inflicted. So that in itself just created a lot of self-evaluation and, and kind of, you know, I, I could scrap a little bit when I, you know, when I grew up. So, um, you know, what, what kind of fight are you going to put up now? But you offered me an opportunity to go through the reserve program. And, and by doing that, part of that is the curriculum for the academy. So uh, I didn't see it, but I knew I wanted to be a part of something. So by joining that, that set the foundation for me to go through the legals process and and also be home uh, to learn how to study and things I need to do. And we went, I think we went once a week uh, back then for about six weeks at night right. and uh, had some great folks around me that, uh, that kind of quizzed me on stuff. And, you know, I learned the process uh, really to how to study. And, um, and you, know, all- you know, what's funny is I remember the, when we sent you back to the Academy, I said, you need to find the smartest fella. You hear right. that? Yes, sir. And room with them. And don't you leave your side. I so said, I you need to find like, the smartest fella. That's right. You don't have to be the smartest guy down there. You just need to know who he is. Uh, or she. And you said, you eat lunch with them. You eat supper with them. You get a good study group. Um, don't mess around. So that, uh, and again, that, again, that happened. And that was, that was a big part of, uh, of doing okay. Well, and, well, let's let's unwrap that for a second. Let, let's unwrap that for a second. Now, let's take a short break from the show, and we'll be right back. Hey, Straight Talk listeners, this is Kelly Corvin, Director of Business Development here at LHLN, just wanting to highlight one of our signature courses, Intentional Leadership. Many of you have taken that class, but many of you have not, and I just wanted to let you know that it is two and a half days of action-packed, next-level leadership development. I don't care where you are on your journey. You can be starting out as a supervisor or at the executive level. You will learn the new way to lead in the 21st century from one of the top leadership influencers, Dean Crisp. Learn more about that class, where it's being hosted this year, or request to host a class at www.lhln.org. And it's not that, you know, we had this brilliant ideas because we're, we're, you know, we're figuring this stuff out as you go, right? I mean, it's not like we got this big crystal ball and we see you sitting there as sheriff, you know, 25, 30 years later. It's, it's kind of like, that's the, that's the interesting thing about life. You got to unwrap it as it comes. You can't try to, 
you know, you've got to do the things you have to do now to be able to do the things you want to do later. Right. Right. And, and think about that for a second. When, when we were talking about, Hey, find the smartest person. Well, the key to that is surround yourself with good people. Absolutely. Talk about that a second. Uh, well, I, you know, I, I knew that coming out of the military that, you know, you're all grouped into one, but uh, leaders around you in the military will pick people who can get a certain specific job done and everybody inside that platoon may have a specific mission. So uh, looking back, you know, you realize uh, maybe your your skills are more, um, you know, kind of thinking in the moment um, or being more reactive or more responsive to things as they happen or as they play out. Um, everybody has a skill. You know, there, we had guys in the service that could read a manual uh, for an M16 and, and memorize the whole thing, but couldn't qualify on the range either, you know, so. Uh, so everybody brings a different skill set, but when you bring those people together, they're certainly stronger. And you've always said, uh, us with the SWAT team, that you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Well, nothing can be more true, uh, but we can make that weakest link stronger. You know, it doesn't mean they're a failure. It just means we have to find their skills to help our team get to where we want to go. Uh, but you also you say, if you don't know where you're going, any road to get you there. And, uh, and, and nothing's more true for me. I, I was... I was very, um, you know, from early on in my career, I was just kind of out there, you know, and I was uh, could perform. I mean, I was, you know, I was a hard worker, but doing, I never did the little things uh, to help the big things really shine. And um, again, I, I was very satisfied. It just, in my mind, I was just going to be a cop for 25 years and get my time in and uh, love what I did, you know, and, and never, really getting any trouble I didn't see any of that happening you know I knew I would I would always uh, be honest and truthful and when working on the road I, I never had any integrity issues or any of those things but um, when it came to some policy it's funny now I have people that come in and make some mistakes and they think they're mortified they think you know that I I have no clue what they did or whatever and I'm like I don't tell them, but I'm thinking to myself, man, I, wrote, I wrote that page. You know what I mean? That policy. Was well, well, I will say there, there's a number of policies that uh, were written after you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that truly, if you're going to be any kind of leader, you got to at least have a policy or two written after something. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, 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 but that, Hey, you live and learn that. I think one of the things that I'm most proud of, and I'm going to fast forward here just a minute because I'm thinking about it. And that's kind of how my brain works. One of the things I'm most proud with you is, was number one, you're extremely resilient. But the other thing is this, you've continued your education, even as you got elected sheriff, while you've had everything you've got going on, running 600 some odd employees, you have went back to college and are about to graduate from college in the midst of doing that job. I, I don't, what an example to the people around you to say, hey, look, you know what? It's never too late. Yeah, I had a I had a very interesting start uh, to my career here as, as sheriff, and it started in March of uh, 2020, uh, 19 months ago. And the part of the Police Reform Act that was even in progress before George Floyd, and then what came after George Floyd at the end of May of that year was that all our deputies would have to have a minimum of a two-year degree. Um, and you had pushed me to go to Greenville Tech early on, and, and I did and had a couple of classes behind me. So uh, believe it or not, I have I, I'm going to invite you to my graduation, but I have uh, 
I have, I, I got like uh, three classes. I'll be done by the end of December uh, to have an associate's degree in criminal justice and then uh, get a, a bachelor's degree in public administration uh, at least by the end of 22. So I've been very fortunate to have a few classes and kind of shorten that up. But it, it's been an eye-opening experience for me, to be honest, uh, not just managing my time, but, uh, you know, you I had to go back to square one. So I had to have some math and English to do and, and writing APA papers and doing that stuff. I, I, my wife is uh, really, really smart, and she's got a master's degree, and she's an assistant principal at elementary school. So uh, my daughter just graduated from Clemson too, so I used both of them. I would I would get them to check my homework and do stuff, and I used the people uh -huh. around me to uh, help me out a little bit and, and get me on track. But it's been well, you know, you know, Hobart. I can remember when Angie went back to school and she was a teacher's aide, That's and right. uh, and you you talked to her about. I, I can remember the day how proud you were when yeah. Angie decided when they said she she wanted to be a teacher. So I said, "Well, go do it." Yeah, that's right. And. I, I told her you can be at the time, I think it was about 36 years old. I said, you can be 40 with a degree or 40 without one. And that's, that's right. what you always tell us. So she, um, she got that and, uh, and got to be a teacher for 16 years at elementary school, third grade teacher. And then she went back and got her master's at night um, through Furman. And, and uh, she just got her first job as an administrator, as an assistant principal. Uh, at another elementary school so yeah we're really proud of her and oh my god i mean it's crazy so so let me set this up for our listeners in terms of the path to you becoming sheriff okay so you run in 2016 yeah. and the old the outgoing sheriff has decided he's not going to run and it's a wide open race and so five or so people how many ever's running and you mm -hmm. get into you it comes down to you and another guy and you lose let me let me say this number and i know this haunts you today and I, but I tell you what, I, for people who don't know, this number changed your life. Go ahead, write it down for me, so so I can see it. I got. It. <laughs> I know I, I can see it right there. Two eighty eight. That was enough. You and I talked about that number for four years, and I I believe that thing haunted you. But I, you lost by two hundred eighty eight votes, and and it knocked you out of the runoff. And uh, but but let me let me set this up for and then I want you to go back to that. OK, because I want to set this up for the viewers to I mean, for the listeners to really pay attention to understanding your path to being a sheriff. Mm -hmm. So you decide to run again in 2020. And at the time, there was uh, going to be a question about the sheriff gets indicted where you were, where you're sheriff now. And mm -hmm. so they charge him. And then the old sheriff comes back, takes over as sheriff. Now you ran in 2016 and now mm -hmm. this is around 2018. You got all this stuff going on. And so he takes over the governor appoints him and then they charge him and his trial goes to, this is, this is what was unbelievable. When we were talking about it at the time, if you can remember uh, two, I mean, we're down to almost 48 hours right. to where if this, if he's not, convicted in 48 hours then it's going to go to a, a full election back in that next year which means now you got 18 more months or there can be a special election occur right. and uh what was interesting about that is he gets convicted and bam the governor says okay special election and people don't realize you had to run four times five five okay five times all mm -hmm. right 
Now I'm going to set this up for people to realize your path to, <laughs> and how you talk about your path was, you know, God made your path for you. And I, you know, I truly believe that you believe Absolutely. that, but let, let's talk about this. So the former sheriff had endorsed an individual, brought him down from another location. who was a prior deputy secret service assistant director, hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of dollars in the bank, all the endorsement from all the politicians, everybody, Republican party at that time, was following the lead of the former sheriff, which is very common. I mean, that's just the way politics work. We're not saying good, bad, or indifferent. That's, uh, yeah, he was very popular. Sheriff, very popular there. Matter of fact, Johnny Mac Brown, very popular guy. Man, you and I both like and respect Johnny Mac Brown. We worked with him when I was sheriff, uh, when I was chief there, and he was sheriff. Love Johnny Mac Brown, great guy. Hey, great, all those things. You know all that. And so, and then this guy is his heir apparent. Mm-hmm. taking you to meetings, going around town, uh, every politician and community supporting him. You start trying to make phone calls, you're going to run again. As a matter of fact, the person that you had talked about running your campaign since 2016, when he found out the former sheriff was now running this guy around, he called you and quit on you. Yeah. People, don't, people don't realize that. So you absolutely... Uh, I remember the phone call we had just in terms of you talking this thing out. And what, what are you going to do? I'm, I remember, and we're talking about, we are literally starting at zero, no money, no, no endorsements. And matter of fact, everybody who said they were going to endorse you had bailed on you a little bit. Went to the other side. Yeah. They went to the other side. And so I told you, I, I can remember our conversation. This has nothing to do with me. So please don't anybody think. But I'm saying this has nothing to do with you. But I told you, you got to make your mind up. You really want this job or not? Thank you for listening to Straight Talk on Leadership with Dean Crisp. Make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss an episode. You can go to www.lhln.org to find upcoming classes where you can book Dean for his new class. And you can also check out his new book, Essential Leadership Lessons from the Thin Blue Line. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.